Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. We bring you the very best recorded panels, workshops, and seminars concerning role-playing game design and publishing. This has been made possible by the generous contributions of the panel speakers and double exposure with their leading game design convention, Metatopia. Episode 72, Lovecraft WTF, recorded at Metatopia 2014, presented by Julia Ellingbow, Kenneth Height, Darren Watts, and Bill White. obvious reasons incredible racism for me just for me is really difficult to tease from the genius Um, however I like other problematic things and I find inspiration in those and clearly uh, so do a lot of people who find really great inspiration from Lovecraft and so I wanted to kind of talk about that. That I don't want people to shy away from that. I think if you're interested in something that's really bothersome and you see some beauty and some just some awesomeness in it, then then go for it. But how do you manage that between you know having making your beautiful baby um, where there's some really ugly ugly stuff in it? Um, so when I was preparing some notes, just now I know about this, um, I found a really interesting quote from a Lovecraft scholar, Peter Cannon. And he t- he's talking about um, the horror of Red Hook. And, um, <laughs> um, and, and he said, racism makes a poor premise for a horror story. I totally disagree. I think racism makes an awesome premise for a horror story. Um, if you think about the root of racism and anti-Semitism and homophobia and, all, and horror, it's all fear. So, so going with that, I can totally respect the Lovecraft phenomenon um, in addition to the fact that his stuff is in the public domain and so it's it's financially acceptable, um, accessible for a lot of people. So that's where I want to start. Uh, well, I don't think that there's any, you know, fair-minded observer of Lovecraft who would deny that the guy was a galloping racist and he was a really, really well-spoken galloping racist, which makes it kind of worse. Uh, Red Hook is kind of a high-water mark in his fiction, and as he developed his cosmology, the fiction became less immediately informed by racism than Red Hook, which is very, very much... And I agree with you that racism makes a great basis for horror literature. Uh, Wuthering Heights, for example, is a powerfully racist novel, and a lot of the strength of Wuthering Heights comes from its racism. 
Uh, I've talked with Nathan Pauletta before about Fu Manchu, which is one of those terrific, terrific bases for adventure horror fiction, and is just, I mean, it's, it makes Lovecraft look like a the Democratic National Convention, uh, by comparison, in terms of the overtness and, and forthrightness of its racism. Um, and I, you know, as a 21st century person of, you know, intermittently decent uh, tendencies, I would rather, you know, at the very least, soft pedal the Lovecraftian racism while up peddling the Gothicism, the Cosmicism, and the other aspects of Lovecraft that are independent of, if informed by, uh, his racism. And I think that it is incumbent on you, you know, both from a sort of human decency perspective as well as from a commercial perspective to sort of figure out how to do that in your own way. And what I am interested in very much is sort of best practices. And and I'm not interested in, like, sort of, you know, getting some sort of, you know, uh, imprimatur, like a, a mark, and I, I write away to, um, uh, to, to the you know, First Ward Democratic Committee in Chicago, and I say, can you certify that this is racism-free? And they're like, okay, you know, for 99 bucks, like the underwriter's laboratory that comes in and tests your faucet. I'm not interested in that, but I'm interested in ways to approach problematic material that you can uh, sort of siphon off as much of their power as, as you can without buying into their worldview. And the trouble is that the sort of standard answer has been done so often that it's boring now, right? The sort of, oh, Fu Manchu is, is a good guy. He's misunderstood, and the real horror is the British. And it's like, well, first of all, the British are in a walk in the park, but they don't have zoos full of man-eating centipedes either, so I'm kind of losing a lot if I make him a good guy. And, I, and I'm, I'm interested in how to sort of detour a bad guy without taking out everything that made him fun to be a bad guy in the start, right? If, if Darth Vader is just a misunderstood kid who just wanted to race pot speeders, I'm way less interested in Darth Vader than when he was just an irredeemably evil figure in a breath mask. And he's just less powerful as a, as a symbol. I mean, he may be a better, you know, human character, but, you know, last time I looked, it wasn't realistic fiction, so I don't care. Um, and I think that a lot of that is true, certainly in sort of heightened genres of gaming, horror and fantasy especially. And, and so, and obviously, you know, problematic material is as close as anything that humans make, but I think that with something like Lovecraft, it's very valuable to look at it, and I can go on endlessly about how important Lovecraft is, but again, I think that like his racism, that's sort of an accepted truth, and we can move on past that, as opposed to just rehashing yet again for the 85th time in the panel that Lovecraft was both inescapable and inescapably bigoted. So, um, now it's on. Now it's on. Sorry. Uh, yeah, so what Dennis said has uh, turned our attention to, well, okay, uh, we acknowledge the problematicity, the problematicness of, of Lovecraft. Right? We acknowledge it, right? We, we know it's there. Uh, what do we do with that? Right? We want to play games in the world, uh, and we want to play with some of the same ideas and <coughs> so the question is okay as a designer right designing a Lovecraftian adventure what do you do you can't you have to be flexible right so some reflexivity about okay what am I doing here and how does this work so I mean I, I think like uh, so I wrote an adventure called the big uh, no uh, Castle Bravo right which involved um, 
which involved uh, nuclear tests in um, the Pacific in the 1950s, right? And um, you know, one of the one of the one of the very conscious decisions that I made early on in the other adventure was, okay, the Pacific Islanders are not degenerates in this story, right? I mean, I think that's not that's not the route I want to go, and um, and I, I'm and I think that was a good decision, right? Because um, it turns out that you know this adventure, the horror comes not from the other outside, but from the other within, right? There's some contaminating emanation from the past, and that transforms us, right? And so, I mean, the one the one critique I think that I would level at Castle Bravo, the way that I wrote it, right? This adventure involving um, running around on an aircraft carrier. Um, worrying about being transformed into a horrific being from the past was that it really doesn't do enough, maybe, to incorporate the Bikini Islander experience, right? I mean, there's a nod to it and some of the character background, but there's not a lot of support in the adventure for, you know, just how horrific this was for that. And so, um, uh, but that would have made it stronger, right? If, if um, as, as, you know, dealing with, um, Dealing with their own troubles, right, which were pretty bad. I mean, these guys on, on the carrier being exposed to radiation, which you know, happened in their life, but you know, the adventure exposes them to far worse horrors, right? If at the same time they had to grapple more strongly with the impact of what we were doing um, and what they were trying to do on the Pacific Islanders around there. So, um, so, so my point is just that, okay, best practices, well, the first one is reflexivity, like acknowledging and thinking about, okay, what does it mean that these are the bad guys or not the bad guys, and, and how do we incorporate uh, real-world experience, uh, right, how do we acknowledge real-world experience, right, and what we know, uh, and, and acknowledge that people are going to be xenophobic, but um, if we're talking about human beings, you know, there's some common humanity that we have to address. So, uh, uh, I'll stop there for now and let Darren probably talk about what he wants to The main reason I wanted to be on this panel, um, I've never written a question about Lovecraft. I have no particular plans to in the future, uh, in the near future, anyway, for it. But I do write about pulp, and I write about uh, Golden Age of Comics, and that sort of thing for it. So I wanted to, you know, kind of participate in this because we have to deal with the same problem and we don't even have the cover in some of those things of, well, we're writing about horror, right? Because racism is such a horrific experience and so uh, tied to that root of fear that Julie was referring to that there's almost a level at which you can kind of like tie into that and use that, you know, even even like the, the reflexive response that we have to the racism in it helps almost contribute to the atmosphere of the weird, right? And you're dealing with and processing your problems with Lovecraft racism are a way to look at what he's doing. Whereas uh, when you're looking at Fu Manchu, Fu Manchu isn't really, he's, he's frequently horrific in what he does, but the main thing that he is is exoticized, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. right? And that he's created like a style of menace. And that menace is tremendously useful from a storytelling point of view if you are able to tease that out of the, the racism of the Yellow Peril to, to begin with. Yeah, and let me just interject. Um, I was at a, at a talk where, um, I don't know, I hope my, the mic is picking me up. Yeah. Um, there, I was at a talk where uh, the, um, 
the uh, scholar was comparing uh, the imagery, the visual imagery that was used to describe Fu Manchu with the visual imagery that was used to describe uh, Osama bin Laden in the post 9-11 era. And you know, it's very similar, right? You know, uh, bearded or mustachioed uh, figure superimposed, you know, head um, uh, on an octopus, you know, body with tentacles straddling the world, right? And, and both of those images, like you just sort of, you know, compare them side by side. So the notion of exotified, yellow peril, orientalist kind of imagery is not something we've gotten super far away from. Right, right? yeah, so it, it's, it's right on the surface. And the same, the, the same thing also exists uh, with, um, with unfortunate comedy characters for you. As dearly as I love Will Eisner, Ebony still makes me, you know, wince on a regular basis as a character for this. And yet, he is still a, a lovable character despite all of the awfulness and questionableness of the portrayal. And you like to think that there is something that is rescuable out of that, that there must be some way that we can represent that and still maintain the feel of the, you know, kind of wild adventure of that period for it and, you know, keep something out of these characters while still managing to avoid replicating and, and reproducing the problem over and over again. Yeah, and the terrible thing about Ebony is he's actually so much better than virtually every other yeah, exactly, right, in the era. Yeah. That which makes, makes you want even more. To like, there's got to be someone who can fix this. Yeah. Right? You, um, you know. and in, in, the, in the context of, of uh, classic comics, uh, one of the big influences on uh, Day After Ragnarok was Terry and the Pirates, right. which is an absolutely classic uh, comic that is exoticizing on its good days. Right. <laughs> and the Dragon Lady, while a, a considerably better character with more agency and more uh, room for operation and a more fully realized figure than virtually every other uh, character created by faultlessly progressive Hollywood now, is still, you know, it, it, it's not very far away from being a racist stereotype in addition to all those other things. Right. And that's the interesting thing about that is that when a, when a, when a creator who may be not even thinking about making something, uh, you know, saying, I'm going to show the heathen Chinese what for, like Sex Romer definitely was, but, you know, um, uh, uh, Steve Canyon probably doesn't really think about it one way or the other. He had years of life experience in, in that part of the world. And was saying, I just want to make this really terrific character who's going to fit in with, by then, a century of other femme fatales and is combining a desire to make a real, honest-to-God villain with agency, but is also painting her into the same outline that is conveniently there the, on the wall. The, exotic, the exoticization of her as a character in some ways freed her to have more agency than a white female villain would yeah, have had. Absolutely. And then the, the notion that that is part of the subconscious horror of her character, right. but is also now part of the great allure for her now for modern readers. Right. And then that's all, a whole different level of, of problematic than just um, try to make there be white cultists of Azathoth also, please. <laughs> which is which is the, the sort of the immediate quick fix for Lovecraft is like you know just just put um, uh, make make it sort of a, a Benetton cult of Gatnathoa if you if you want to and maybe that'll take some of the the, the, the curse off. <laughs> I like to watch Disney movies a lot, and I think Disney movies over the years, if you start with say oh like Song of the South. <laughs> um, which, when I was a kid, I had this book um, that my mom, who was a history professor, by the way, uh, my parents gave me this book of 
Disney stories, um, and my favorite one was the one of Salmon South. And um, I even, we even had like our, our little family. I was a rabbit, and my dad was a fox, and my, I'm um, sorry, my, my dad was a bear, and my, my mom was a fox. And I have a cousin who's the tall baby. Like that. <laughs> um, and when I was in my thirties, I actually saw Song of the South. Um, and ouch! Oh my gosh! And I have to say, I still loved it, even though it hurt so much to watch. I still there was something about it. And um, I'm not gonna say, oh, it just brought back memories from my childhood. No, no. There's I I, I felt this bizarre connection to this horribly racist movie. Um, I think part of it was that it was just so awful. And I do remember those characters. Um, and in the original Uncle Remus stories, they were derived from stories that um, slave parents would tell their children to keep alive. That they were written metaphors so that um, they, the, the trickster, Bear Rabbit, making jokes and making fun was a way to teach her children how to talk to white people so that they wouldn't smack you upside the head or kill you. And um, thinking of that, that, that Disney took that and turned it into Song of the South is, is kind of depressing, but I still have these bizarre fond memories of Song of the South. Um, Peter Pan is another one. Um, yeah, and Dumbo. <laughs> um, and all of these characters are, it, it's so, it's like, ow, oh, oh. Um, and I, I hate even more when they show up on ABC and they cut those scenes out. Um, I want my kids to see that and I want them to understand what it was like to be, you know, have, have this caricature of your culture um, up on the screen. I, I really, I hate the whitewashing. Um, and I, I wouldn't want someone who's working with Lovecraft to, to do the whitewashing just to make it accessible because I, I think it makes it a lie of accessibility. Um, and that's why I love the fear being the basis of both horror and racism. I mean, it's, it's kind of specifically relevant to me right now because I'm doing a lot of stuff with Dracula, right? Which is, you know, Dracula Quadracula is only a little racist. I mean, he's a Hungarian, so he's a problem child. He's not an Englishman. But most of the people in it are white-ish. And you can sort of, you know, Stoker was an Irishman, so he's writing from a little bit of an outsider perspective on English society. There are enough interesting things going on. He's exoticizing Catholicism, which we can all agree has been fun. Um, <laughs> but then there's those gypsies, and you're like, oh... Could you please have written the bad guys that were not actually victims of the Holocaust prom? Because this makes it so much harder for me to really revel in you now. <laughs> and fortunately, they're also Slovak river pirates. So again, we can we can sort of at least have, you know vary the tone a bit. But it but it's very difficult. And I guess when you're saying you know you don't want to see these guys whitewashed, right? You don't want a Stoker that doesn't have gypsies in it. Um, we, we left the gypsies in. We made there be a specific clan or, or family that is the guys who have historically served Dracula going back to the 15th century. And they're bad guy gypsies. And we put in a couple of good guy gypsies just to make sure. 
but I still am every time I write these guys, I'm holding, I, I can feel myself just as a, as a horror writer, as a creator, as a game designer, I'm holding back from making them as terrible as when I write, say, MI6. You know, and I'm writing, or the CIA or somebody, and it's like, you know, these are guys who I have no problem saying the worst, most vile, horrible things about, right? They're in, you know, or the, or the Catholic Church in, in the Netherlands, right? The guys who are, you know, secretly slipping Van Helsing these hosts, which they should not be doing. And I, I tie them to all manner of, you know, uh, horrible things in the name of Dracula. But it feels, if I do stuff with the gypsies, with the, with the Zagani, uh, which is only barely better, um, I, I feel myself flinching and holding back. And I guess I don't, is this a soluble situation? Is it a thing where in 200 years, where the Holocaust is just as big a trivia question as the Sepoy Mutiny or, or, um, uh, or, or some of the other stuff, uh, we can sort of begin to not even contextualize it, but not necessarily have to look at all the rough edges. Uh, as we write about it, is it just something that, that you know time heals all wounds, or is it an insoluble problem? And the best you can ever get with horror involving gypsies is seventy-five percent effort compared to horror involving the NSA. I mean, does anyone have a have a thought about that? Who are we asking? <laughs> no volunteers. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good, right. It's a, it's a good question. It's, it, it feels like it's violating the basic principle of the yeah. yeah. But at the same time, as you said, Julia, to eliminate it entirely seems like it would take away from, thank you, take away from so this, the, the horror of the source material. And I, I have. I don't know, Ben. I have no idea. I mean, why am I holding this up? We want to make sure that voices get recorded. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, but yeah, like, punching down like that, really. I'm glad I don't have that contract. I mean, uh, punching down is, 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 is a guideline for satire, I find. I don't know that it is relevant for horror. I mean, I, it, I, mean, I think it's it, 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 I mean, it's a, it's a moral yeah, statement, yeah. sure. But I don't know that it's. Um, but but again, punching down. I have no particular objection to saying awful, horrible things about, you know, uh, even poor people who are outside my my cultural tradition. I mean, I could write about you know inbred New England folk all day and all night, even though that's more daring. Um, uh, and if I were to do it, I would have to be Oklahoma yet cultists okay. to get to my my real background. Um, and but I have no objection to. to, to Sort of that sort of um, uh, uh, degenerate uh, white cultist stuff that Lovecraft also loved to do so well, and that's certainly punching down because there is punching down rural uh, hillbillies and people who you know are, are you know were once uh, gentry but have you know fallen on incest and bestiality, <laughs> and 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 you have no problems really with that, or I don't anyway. Maybe I'm a terrible human being. <laughs> But Don't Punch Down, I don't see as a valuable guide for horror, certainly, and I don't know to what degree it's a valuable guide for well, fantasy or other genres. Yeah. The, um, I mean, the, the thing that emerges, though, right, is that, um, like, okay, yeah, so, you know, Lovecraft had no problem with the degenerate white cultists out in the hinterlands, and I don't either, so I'm just going to do it, is kind of a non-reflexive sort of position, right? I mean, it's so, okay... But let's take that seriously. Let's imagine. Let's imagine 
what this world is like for them and maybe just try to humanize them a little. I was uh, I was struck by uh, uh, did anyone see True Detective? Have you seen True Detective? Yeah. Right. And so there is this horrible, vile, uh, you know, incestuous, nasty um, villain, right? This guy who turns out to be the bad guy, and he is um, a a uh, almost a caricature of you know poor poor southern um, yeah poor you know poor southern rural um, white trash kind of, that's 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 all the tropes that's around him. And yet, and yet, when we finally get inside, right, that house at the end, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, right, but when we finally get inside that house, I mean, um, there, uh, you know, we meet, we first meet his sister, right, and the way that, that she talks about him uh, indicates that, well, she values him, right, she sees something in him and is like, and loves him, right, and she's ugly and hideous and horrible and disgusting, um, and he's even worse, and yet, there's something human about that, right? And so, when I say reflexivity, right, I mean, it's not a matter of, oh, uh, you know, not, you know, saying, okay, that can be a bad guy. Yeah, that can totally be a bad guy. But some, some idea that, okay, we still have to try and humanize them, right? We still have to try and regard them not as cardboard others, but as, like, real. And, and you know, when you, so when you write bad guys, I mean, like, like, I don't see you not doing that, right? I mean, that's, that's just, Good writing. Yeah, that's Although again, bad guys in games are different, sure. right? Than bad guys in literary fiction or, or TV or something where you're actually engaged in character delineation in that way, right? Um, certainly, all the bad guys in you know our Dracula thing have got motivations and all kinds of reasons that they gave into Dracula, even if they were just you know walking down the wrong road in Transylvania one day. Um, but also, one of the things about Lovecraft specifically. And one of the things that makes him extra fun to make this part of is the way to which his humans are also departing from that which makes them human right. as a condition of being bad guys. And when you take, uh, and when you step one step back and you take a holistic look at Lovecraft's whole universe, where Lovecraft is more in sympathy with the vegetable aliens in Antarctica than he is with his neighbors in Brooklyn, right? Right, because one of them value art and science and breeding and keep slaves, and the others cook weird food and play their music at all hours and are generally smelly and unpleasant to him. Uh, or and then so Lovecraft does not value humanizing any of his characters oh, yeah. fundamentally, and. When you get a character like Joseph Kerwin, who is easily one of his best villains, or Azanath Wake, even their human qualities have an alienness to them that makes their horror more effective, but makes identification with them. We're not sitting here saying, I understand why Joseph Kerwin is raising up an army of zombies. We're saying, he's doing it because he has fundamentally left the freaking station. <laughs> and when Azanath Wake is body switching her meat ineffectual chuckle headed white husband right. Edward we know that she's doing that because she was bent broken into that position and possibly possessed by her father but there is no point at which we are saying oh I get it she's doing it as, as a feminist statement no she's not she has no recognizable human motives because Lovecraft's heroes barely have recognizable human motives in most cases because he is deliberately writing those out of his fiction. Right, right, right. 
So, so it's a harder road to hoe. I mean, you can say that, yeah, if I'm doing the Wuthering Heights game, I have no problem humanizing Heathcliff. Right. But if I'm doing the Lovecraft game, humanizing Kerwin or his equivalent, or um, uh, or, um, uh, or or Whateley right. is a little bit of a de Lovecraftification, and it may make some narratives more powerful, but it's also a step away from HBL. And I think that the challenge—I mean, obviously—if the only challenge were don't write anything racist, thank you, good night, it wouldn't be hard. Right. I mean, it might be hard, but it wouldn't be like crazy hard. Right. But if the challenge is don't write racist stuff, but also be true to Lovecraft. That's the hard part, right there. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, but what I'm hearing you say is, um, like, Lovecraft's racism is inextricable yes. from, uh, from the larger themes that he's addressing. I would, I would, I would argue with inextricable, but I would argue that extricating it leaves you with less rather than more. Okay. I mean, there there are there are things in Lovecraft that are at there pretty much have zero racist component in them, like say uh, Shadow Under Time. I don't think that I mean maybe there's a little bit with yeah, the Aboriginals, but there's virtually nothing. Can see that. Yeah, but but there are certainly you know parts of it everywhere. And once you say you code his fear of the other as fear of other races, yeah, that yeah you're you're done because yeah, right, right. the fear of the other never goes away, right? So. Uh, so, uh, was that not complete? I mean, I'm not, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to talk about Lovecraft too much, except as the, the departure for how we address how we address the Right, yeah. Go ahead, Well, no, I, 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 I think it's good. I think the thing is to move on, I guess, to like what are the practices when you are in fact actually addressing these things. Some of these things, like you say, are inextricable to the nature of the writer. I mean, I think writing Lovecraft, uh, or writing about Lovecraft for it. Uh, what we're doing when we're writing Call of Cthulhu, or what we're doing when we're writing any of the other innumerable, you know, like the writing trail or you know any of the other Lovecraftian games for it today, doesn't necessarily require that close a reading of Lovecraft's uh, uh, specific text anymore, right? Because some of what we're doing when we're doing that is we're dealing with the pop culture. Awareness of of Lovecraft and of the mythos, or and we're commenting on that. And so there's a there, there's a level at which we have to deal with well, how much does the pop culture mythos actually do it, as opposed to returning to the original text. I think to a certain extent, the existence of Carl and Trail and Delta Green and everything else that has addressed Lovecraft have all. Um, I don't know if they've removed the you know how much of we're addressing racism, but they've allowed. The, the good parts of it have allowed an entry into Lovecraft that allowed you to a certain extent to ignore that. Yeah, which right. is in its own way, you know. It's, it's short. It has its, its own. As a, as a, yeah, it, it is. It is unfair, probably, <laughs> to Lovecraft, you know, like, on a, you know, literary sense. But it's much fairer and easier for the purposes of gaming. But also, but also, I mean, it, it goes to what Julia was saying about don't whitewash the source material. Sure. If right. we can just, if we pretend that, oh no. That was just something regrettable that Lovecraft did in his fiction before 1926, which we don't want to read anyway because it isn't very good. And once he got good, he was a good modern progressive no, American I'm not, like I'm we are. Or, but, but I mean, but when you talk about the pop cult Lovecraft, it's all denatured. I mean, right. it's denatured of everything that's right. Lovecraft, which is why I don't go to the pop cult Lovecraft. Well, I don't uh, mind the plushies, but I'm not bringing horror from them either. Um, but. 
that is to some extent what, what Julie was saying is, is you're whitewashing the source material. Sure. You're whitewashing yeah. off, off a very big book. Right. And you know, God knows there are plenty of Lovecraft nerds out there who want to be let off that hook more desperately than fish want water. Right. Lisa? You also get this interesting thing when you're doing any horror, but definitely Lovecraft as well. Yeah. If you're writing a scenario, the NPCs are going to be victims and villains because it's your PC's job to fix things or die and go insane trying. And then trying to avoid, wait, did I make all my women villains? Did I have any people of color? Are they all villains? Did I exoticize them? It is always going to be problematic. Well, it's always going to be difficult. Yes. I mean, one can imagine a, a good Lovecraftian scenario that happens by dint of good luck and uh, one of the, 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 the source material that is, is not particularly problematic in that way, lucking out. But that's going to be, you know, are all my women villains? Do any of my women have agency? Where are my people of color or my or my gays or, or whatever? That's just going to be whenever you write fiction. Right. Right. I was going to say, that's by no means, yeah. you know, a But my point is that in a gaming scenario, you want the agency to go to the PCs first, and that is an extra layer on top of everything yeah. else. Yeah. Although, again, villains should have agency, or, or not even villains, antagonists should always have agency, or else the scenario is just stiff and boring. Well, I'm. Yeah. Well, they're they're boring, of course. <laughs> they might be scary, but they're only scary as long as they stay in their ten by ten room. I'm 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 addressing that question. I'm thinking about the um, adventure that I wrote for Mythos Expedition, right, which involved a trip in India, right, yes. and um, you know I spent a lot of time, right, because uh, I mean the bad guys they have to be, well they have to be Indian, right? They have they're 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 thuggy, right? They're you know they they have to be that. Um, but but I, I tried to work hard to make sure that they weren't just uh, you know cardboard cutouts bad guys right and so there's a there's a mystery right there's a, there's a mystery you can figure out your you know your your expedition is being infiltrated by the bad guys right and you can figure out who the bad guys are if you pay attention to well uh, you know uh, caste and um, uh, religion right because the bad guys will you know be the same they'll they'll they're in disguise. Uh, but if you want, if you know, if you can, there there are clues there, right? There are clues that you can use to identify that. And what that means is, you have to pay attention to that as a as a player. You have to regard that as as a clue or as a cue. And it was interesting to me, right, to uh, run this adventure and have uh, a player, um, you know, very much in the um, you know uh, big sahib mode. You know, just go, yeah, I don't care. Oh. Uh, 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 you know, some of our bearers are dying, who cares, right? That's what they're there for, right? And so um, I tell that story just as, um, you, you know, that, that relates to, I think, you know, Lisa, your, your question, which is, um, uh, like, okay, you know, do I have to worry about, you know, balance and things like that? I mean, I think, well, yes, you do. You have to, you know, be concerned with, you know, am I unselfconsciously just sort of making the bad guys who I think the bad guys are, um, but uh, you know, in writing this part of the adventure, I tried to make sure that okay, no, there's you know, these bad guys are also preying on other others, right, in the adventure. And if you pay attention to that, you can gain allies and um, but that's uh, succeed. Story. 
Yeah. And that's where the story is, right? Yeah. That's what, and that's now was was this player saying that in the kind of like, you know, casual callousness of being a player, or was he trying to uh, you know, wrongheadedly emulate playing a racist uh, I, I, I think kind of the latter, right, a right. little bit. You know, he's like, Okay, I'm you know, I'm I'm British in nineteen thirties India. Right. So, yeah, so, so my yeah. character so, yes. right, yeah. Right, so I get to so I get to do this. Right. Right. Um you know, so which is disheartening. Just disheartening. Sure, right. On multiple levels. Yeah. Right, both from a design perspective. Right, design is cool adventure, it's just mystery, and you're not that you're not engaging with it. But also from, you know, it's 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 a, it's 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 an easy thing to go to, right? I'm a stereotypical white guy in uh, you know nineteen twenties thing, nineteen um, thirties India, so I do this, and it's just an easy laugh and not really um, a fun engagement with the adventure, something like that. Speaking of punching down, exactly. Right. Okay, so a reflection of what you were just talking about is that most uh, Lovecraft and gaming is set in historical periods where all the ugly racism is prevalent, uh, but usually the temptation is to present uh, the player characters and in the society they're trying to defend as progressive, but usually terrible things happen to them. And so that carries the risk of giving this presentation or even implying that because you are the progressive people in this otherwise terrible time, these terrible things happen to you. Yeah, I, I run a lot of stuff set in the 30s and 40s in general with it. And uh, though, you know, Julia suggested that, it's, that she doesn't want to see that sort of thing whitewashed for it. Um, most of the time when I do play, I do whitewash it. And I do it consciously, and I make sure that my players are aware that I'm doing that. Because I want a comfort level at the table with that. And so we sit down at the beginning of a campaign when I've got new players who have not, you know, worked with me before, not played with me before, to say, look, all of these things are real, all of these things I'm completely aware of, all of these things are miserable, and we're trying every day to make you know like the world better for that sort of thing. This is not how I want to spend my entertainment hour, you know, like the few hours I have every week to actually like play to, to actually address this. So in my, you know, idealized thirties and forties, women do have agency. And there are a wide number of, you know, uh, of races represented uh, in the Justice Society. Right, it's not all you know. Nineteen white guys and Wonder Woman gets to be the secretary. That's it. I just don't want to deal with that. I don't want to have that uh, that kind of negativity in my game, no matter how much I'm I maybe you know like interacting with the text because I I'm working with adventure fiction, right? I'm working with something that doesn't stand up to a great deal of literary analysis to start out with, and it makes our days easier for it. You know, like my table, it's, it, you know, it, it's, it's not gender balanced, but I have uh, female players, I have players of color, I have, you know, feel, and I want everybody to feel comfortable and welcome on Tuesday night in 2014. And I'm not really stressed over how accurate my 1939 is that way. I think um, saying, I acknowledge that we're playing in, in, in a setting that may not necessarily have been the friendliest place for women or people of color or the other 
or however you want to frame it, is not so much whitewashing, but it's saying we're going to make this because in, right. so that it, it is it's easy to access. Right. Um, and I acknowledge that um, we're also somewhere we're playing a fantasy here in a world that that had it had a dark side. Um, and and I think the flip side of that is that there were women who were doing things other than being secretaries during that time, and they were... Unfortunately, they weren't portrayed that way in the fiction. No, they... No. Well, they they may have been portrayed in less popular fiction, or in the reality of children acting out that fiction as... in, in that era. That It's sort of like when I, when I think about how I, I liked Disney movies. That I could easily just the the, the racism in, in Dumbo just totally went over my head over my mom was sitting there watching her. And I was like, Oh, but it's Dumbo the next so cute. Right. Um, that that you know, later on she would say, right, I, I, I don't, don't want to whitewash the existence of this in the text that we're drawing from. Right. For it. That's not I'm not changing history and I'm not making it in, in, in any way or you know, discouraging people from looking back at those stories and saying that yes they do contain this and you know in some cases especially in, in Lovecraft or in other horror stuff they drew some of the power from that for it but like I said it's, it's, that's not one if, if it means that I am defanging some of like that power that's a trade off I'm willing to make you know as a designer and as a writer for it so that's why I was curious to hear what the other people's answers for managing this would be because if you have a way uh, that that doesn't defang, you know, like the horror level on it. I'd love to hear it because I've never found one that I'm comfortable with. I've been doing this for 25 years, so. Yeah, fantasy, I guess. You know, just say, okay, we're playing in the alternate universe. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that is my solution for it. That's yeah. what I'm saying. If there is a way to keep it, or if there's a way to, to, to wrestle with, well, perhaps racism and include it in my 2014 colorful scenario yeah. in a comfortable manner. I'd love to hear that because I've never found it. Comfortable racism is hard. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm not, you know, I've had, and honestly, I don't, I don't find it worth saving. I can find the power in my horror from something else without acknowledge, without you know, refusing to acknowledge that it existed there in the original text. In my version of it, you know, what I'm actually drawing from. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change this. I'm gonna have a fantasy version of this that is in fact actually. Something that is palatable to me and my, you know, and my intended audience. So. What about despecifying the xenophobia? That it isn't directed towards one particular group of people or, or a couple of groups of people, but taking that xenophobia that is very often the basis of so much other horror fiction and fantasy that we're always afraid of the other because we don't we don't know what it's going to do and it might like peel the skin off of itself and reveal like a giant monster on me. Right. Um, so despecifying who the other is, and maybe that other is someone that we wouldn't recognize. Um, again, not so much whitewashing, but embracing the xenophobia, because it that that to me is kind of interesting. That that if there's something I would find engaging about about. Um, Lovecraft is that he is so over the top in his racism, in his anti-Semitism, in his xenophobia that it's it's almost a caricature, and we can sort of take that as sort of a lesson. Like this is what happens when you are this crazy and fearful of the other that you just go mad. 
Well, I think that um, there, I mean, there, there, there's certainly a a viable and I would even say practicable aesthetic way to do that, right? As a as a tone for a given game or even a given campaign, where you're going to do sort of the Bazwerman's H.P. Lovecraft, where it's all over the top and you know everything is going to be like the 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 the, 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 um, uh, the, the, the big uh, musical number at the beginning, Moulin Rouge, and the cameras are never going to stop, and we're just going to see horror piled upon horror and uh, ridiculous uh, racial. Uh, a depiction piled on di- ridiculous racial depiction, and literally only people of the upper middle class from Rhode Island are safe from the horror, and only until their 50th birthday when the syphilis germs come into their brain. And you can do that. I am not entirely sure that that would denature it sufficiently as a commercial product. I'll just say that. Um, where, what, regardless of what we're playing in your home group, I mean, in my home group, we had we played uh, 18th century games a couple of times, and we always find good old uh, making fun of the Irish that there's nothing funnier. And as an, an Irish American, of course, I can do it without being called names. The, my players are, are not mostly Irish, but I don't mind because it's, it's hilarious when they do it. Um, but you can certainly look at something where you sort of expand the othering as opposed to contract the othering. But again, when you do that, you are you're 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 you're, short, you're you're only having one kind of fun, and I think it's a very short-term kind of fun because that is going to burn out your your receptors after right. a bit. Right. Yeah. One of the dangers is that. Uh, uh, it doesn't get recognized as parody anymore, right? Yeah, it get right recognized. Yeah. And, the, and the other danger, of course, is that it does then once again take you away from addressing Lovecraft's text. Right. And I mean, and I, I mean, I have all kinds of ways to not address Lovecraft's text and not be racist. And number one would not play Lovecraft games. But um, I want to address Lovecraft's text because that is the thing that is the second or third most influential piece of pop culture you know, in American letters of the century, right? Wow. Um, I don't want to back away from Lovecraft's text. I want to get closer and closer to Lovecraft's text. I want to look at the world of the Haunter of the Dark, where it's a white Presbyterian who brings the trapezoid back to Rhode Island, and where it is Poles and Italians who are holding the Gitmerian back with a ring of candles in a hurricane. I mean, I want to look at things where the reason Arthur German kills himself with by lighting himself on fire is he's descended from a white ape. And that what he has done is implicated specifically Arthur German, uh, metaphorically Lovecraft, and by some extension all Caucasians in what is actually just Darwin. And I want to explore that horror, which, while alive with racial signifiers, deploys them almost all 180 degrees around from how you normally would deploy them. And even in the source material that Lovecraft read right before writing Arthur German. And and again, this is not to defend Lovecraft, who is a... uh, And you don't want to run a game based on his letters. (laughs) <laughs> because they are far less nuanced than his fiction. <laughs> well, certainly, certainly poetry. Oh my God! But um, there are there are parts of Lovecraft's approach to race that are, you know, 
they're they're fucked up, but they're fucked up in different, new, and exciting ways than you had thought. And to reduce it to beautiful, glorious parody is to basically fire up all. It's like the end of the fireworks show. You fired up all the Roman candles, and now you're done. Right. You don't have any more. You got to go home. And I don't want to go home. I, I never want to go home from Lovecraft. I, I want to. I want to keep coming back to that well because it's a. It's never going dry. It's an aquifer of horror. And um, and so I, I think that again, that's that's like a short term solution. And I I don't know that a long term solution is possible except for encouraging reflexivity and creator, game master, and player in everything that you write. And if you have to write a scenario that contains a strong dollop of racism because otherwise it is not true to the Lovecraft material, that you at the very least present it in a context like, you know, the thing where the guy, when they were showing Song of the South and the guy comes on, now this was done in a time when Walt Disney was, you know, secretly, you know, riding around in a General Lee uniform and uh, plotting eugenic destruction of mankind. Just to keep us in context, or whatever, right? Or whatever. They have scholars that that sort of explain that. And if you say, this is based on Horror Red Book, which was written when Lovecraft was living in Brooklyn and dealing with poverty and the collapse of his marriage and had a lot of other shit going on, and his neighbors, while Syrians were also, they were probably cooking their food at odd hours, in fairness to Lovecraft, and there is this stuff going on, but we also have to understand that it's fundamentally racist and awful and don't think that. Right. <laughs> the, same, the, the people who introduced the Bugs Bunny characters. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. The same way as, like, you know. But again, even in Red Book, the bad guy's a Dutchman. People are just right? The bad guy's not a Kurt, the bad guy's a Dutchman. So, that's something, I guess. Those Dutch. When you say to, alright, go beyond looking into context. Yes, he was. He had some messed up thoughts, and so do you. Or yes, he has some messed up thoughts. Um, and while you're playing this, you can keep that in mind, um, and you can choose to play it or not play it. And it might make it harder to play as you're remembering that this is the guy who really wrote that poem. Um, I, I I know. I, I just I think. Because I have an interest in problematic material, that that just saying, yeah, here we go, truth, disclosure, hey, go learn something about him. Um, then you can come back really informed, and you'll understand why this is so terrifying. It's not just because there's like a giant tentacle monster in it. It's because he wrote it, and and is he a reflection of his time? I think he's beyond a reflection of his time. I think he he was more racist than most people. He, he, he was more articulately racist than yeah. most people. I yeah. don't know how you would go about judging it, but many people were pretty terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just that, sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and evermore, Shelby. I mean, uh, of course, right? I mean, uh, it, like, I mean, to what extent do you have to, you know, separate separate the author from the work, right? I mean, like, um, you know, granted, like you you read the text, right, and you see, oh yes, yes, it, uh, I could see, I could see this, uh, you know, this xenophobia, this racism, um, this this fear of the other here. Um, but I'm just looking at this text and this body of work, right? And 
Um, and you know, Ken, well, you know, don't look at the letters. We're not talking about the letters, right? This, this body of text. Well, I mean, go ahead and look at them, but just, if you write a game based on them, do not tell me about them. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but I mean, but we have we have a corpus, right? A corpus, uh, you know, that does this work, right? And and um, like I think a lot of times we we do differentiate the the author from the work, right? We, we, as a matter of fact, some people claim like the author is dead, right? You know, this idea that um, uh, the idea that as what matters is the reader, right? And how the reader brings um, an interpretive lens and interpret, interpretive focus to the work that's being there. So uh, really, I guess what I'm really is taking issue with your notion of, oh, well, you know, remember the author, remember this guy, he's this horrible guy. Right and you know well okay yeah I mean I, sure I understand that um, but um, you know when I'm grappling with otherness in a game right you know the theme of motif that I find particularly Lovecraftian um, you know uh, you know it, it, it doesn't necessarily matter who Lovecraft was and what kind of person he was right what matters is the work that he produced and the themes and motifs that I am am taking from that. Right, so and again, I'm intended as a defense, but just you know, um, you know, elementary kind of you know reader theory is you know we read things and interpret things and bring a lot of different interpretive frames to the stuff that we're reading, and to some degree, the author's intent is the thing that matters least, you know, in the works that we use. So, um, and then again, I'm intended to say, oh, okay, just use it and don't worry about it um, because the shit is there in the text. But what matters is in the text. Well, I mean, I mean, in a way, then that's kind of a, is, is that a green light for us to go ahead and design racist adventures? Well. On the grounds that the game, the, the, the GM and the players are going to be bringing stuff to it or not? Well, uh, uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, I don't think so, but I'm not the one who believes in that the author. Right. I mean, well, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, right? and again, I don't believe in the biographical argument of Lovecraft critics either. Right. But I believe that if you're going to address Lovecraft's fiction, which is way more nuanced than Lovecraft's beliefs, right. you can be easily fooled into, and I've seen it happen, into believing that Lovecraft was not an odious racist uh, right, from day right. one. And I'm not saying that. Yeah, right. I'm not saying that. I'm, yeah. We're talking about how do we how do we use this text, right? Yeah. And right. Um, right, and and how we use it. Well, you know, maybe uh, you know, thinking of the most important thing to keep in mind is is how much of a racist Lovecraft was. Maybe that's not the most important thing we need to do in making use of the text, right? Maybe it is to, you know, be be nuanced ourselves, right? And, and our, so be aware of what's um, of how we are using it, right? Because every every act of production is also an act of reading, right? I mean, because I'm reading right. Lovecraft and producing it, you know what I mean? I'm reproducing it, and so I'm conscious about what I'm reproducing. They're trying. I have a, I have a oh, totally. I and then I see you have a question. I just want to bring this little minute. So I'm I sing in a uh, a symphony chorus, and um, in the chamber choir part of the chorus, we are singing um, Shakespeare lyrics. We're singing um, the one of the things we're singing is a, by a Finnish um, composer, um, and it's from Macbeth. We're singing the, um, the three witches and the double double toil and trouble, and there is this lyric that. Um, you know, we talk about the blaspheming Jew and 
um, it, it, it's it's, so. it's a little it's a little uncomfortable. And um, our conductor said, if you don't sing this um, clearly and effectively and practically spit the words out with anger, you are doing um, you're going to make it sound offensive. Which when we the way we were singing, I think we were all sort of like, you know, and because nobody wanted to say it. And then he said, all right, say it in character, that you're this frightening, horrible witch, and you're plotting to help the king become king, or help Macbeth become king, by making terrible things happen. Um, because if you sing it without any passion or without any thought, then it sounds really awful and racist. Right. But if you sing it in character, it sounds, it, it, you're not glossing away, you're, you're actually rising to meet the ugly and sort of carrying the ugly over into ugliness. Um, and in a sense, we sound actually kind of awesome when we sing it when we actually get there. We sound horrible when we are afraid of it. I think I understand that metaphor. I like that. Uh, basically, just on the subject of the division between the author and the text, Lovecraft has already basically said what you know, if we're talking about what Lovecraft had to say for himself, he already addressed the racism part. When we're playing with Lovecraft, we want to play with themes. You know, everyone has their favorite Lovecraft theme. We've been talking a lot about xenophobia. So maybe the solution is for us to look at what we're trying to get out of this, what we're playing it for, and do something new with it. Don't just rehash the same Lovecraft story in the same way that Lovecraft did. You know, take the xenophobia themes and actually make them relevant to you and make it interesting. Create something new together as a GM and a player. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come back next year. Yeah. <laughs> That's that easy. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and this is sort of, yeah, and uh, I, I don't mean to have the last word, but no, it's almost like Fox, I'm just going to take it. Uh, I, I kind of agree, and I do, I, I do have that sort of like restating to a certain degree what I was saying, although, you know, hearing that, hearing that again, um, I mean, I think it is worth it, right, to acknowledge, uh, acknowledge that what we're playing with may make other people uncomfortable, right, that, that and, and maybe patently offensive to other people, and that's not something we can just sort of hand wave away and say, oh yeah, but I'm just dealing with these tropes and dealing with these concepts uh, in my own way, right? I mean, I think it is worth it to say, oh yeah, this is something that other people find problematic, find troublesome, um, find... But I find find problematic and and troublesome, you know, and that I'm grappling with right now as I'm dealing with, you know, creating a story. Well said. But I mean, the thing is that functionally, it looks like... The, the two look the same if the response is go back to playing Call of Duty. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, saying your problems don't matter, and I'm seriously thought about your problems is identical if you're going back and playing Call of Duty, even if you're playing it with more nuance. The guy is probably not in your gaming group. He doesn't know how much nuance you're playing. He only knows, oh, he's playing a freaking war at Red Hook scenario. Right, right, right. So that. That still, I think, leaves us in kind of the box that we came into panel in. So, that's well, we didn't expect to get out of it. So, well, thank you very much for your time. I, I, I would have yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.
Yeah. 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 Yeah.